A fable did not hold him to that tree. Jesus said, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it up again. And at any time in the process of being beaten to death and crucified, he could have left this earth and been spared the pain and agony that he went through. But love held him to that tree. Love. There was no word that could explain the pain and agony of crucifixion. So a word had to be invented And the word they came up with was excruciating. Excruciating pain is rooted directly in the crucifixion process. Eusebius, an ancient uh, church historian, uh, talked about that he had eyewitnessed the floggings that took place under the Roman hands. And that the back and the bone and the sinew would be exposed to the air. And when the cat of nine tails would rip around, it would rip open their stomachs and even their intestines could be seen open to the air. Before your Lord and Savior went to the cross, He was already dying. He was dying of hypovolemic shock. Hypo and volume from the Latin. Hypo meaning low and volume meaning the amount of. He had lost so much blood that his kidneys had shut down and he could no longer produce urine. Hence, on the cross he cries out, I thirst. Acidosis was, was building up in his blood because of the carbon dioxide. Because to breathe on the cross you must stand up. Because when you slump down you slowly suffocate. And he, when he would push up the, the, the nerve, which is the same nerve, the ulna nerve, it runs through your elbow, runs through his hands, and that is where the Romans would place the rusted nail. And it would pinch against that nerve and cause the most pain that any human has ever endured before or since. That same nerve ran through the, the ankle bone. And they would drive a nail through that so that every time your Lord and Savior would push up to get a breath, excruciating pain would race and seize through His body from His feet. And He would breathe enough to try to exhale the poison that His body was putting out, the carbon dioxide, and take in some oxygen. And the pain would get so great, He'd have to slump back down. And at that time, He would begin to suffocate again. We do not follow cunningly devised fables. And that is the title of this message today. No fable. No fable held him there. No fable. No fable caused him to endure the pain. He told the disciples in the book of Mark, he said, My soul, right before he was crucified in the garden, he said, My soul is sorrowful unto death. And he cried out, Abba, Father, if it be any other way, take this from me. The word Abba is Aramaic and it means Papa, Daddy. It is an intimate term. It's not Father. It is Daddy. Please, if there's any way that I don't have to go through this pain and suffering, please. But then he submitted to the will of his Father and he went to the cross. And not only did he die, but he died the death of the cross where we get the word excruciating. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, there is no greater love than the love that You have shown, Lord. Surely I have not chosen You, but You have chosen me. And I am not my own, God. I have been bought with a great price. And Lord, there is none who has paid a price for me like You. And God, today I just give You the glory and the honor. And I thank You for Your mercy, Lord, that You look down in my filth. 
You look down in my wrong-headedness, God, in my stubbornness and my selfish life. And you said, I want him. I want him like he is right here, right now, Lord. Thank you, God, for your mercy. I pray, Father, that you would today instill courage in your people, Lord, to be a peculiar people. People that they recognize the lineage of what they've come from and the price that's been paid for them to be here today and the freedoms that they are offered, Lord. May they never turn their backs, God. Let them never commit the sin of omission of not doing something to progress and further the kingdom of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your Bibles in Second Peter chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 12 of Second Peter. Peter wrote this within three years of his death. This is not the same Peter that denied Christ. This is not the same Peter was putting his foot in his mouth. This is a, a hardened, battle-hardened, heart full of the love of Christ, a heart full of the miracles that he had seen in his Lord's life, a, a, a mind and a heart full of the miracles that he had seen God do through his own hand. And he was a, a, a man full of wisdom coming to the end of his life. And God had already told him, the, Jesus already told him, one day you're going to stretch out your arms, Peter, and someone's going to gird you and take you where you don't want to go, uh, predicting the death that Peter would die. So this is a well-rounded, mature believer who had come to the total, complete end of himself. That's what we're about to read, the writings of that man. For this reason, Peter says in verse 12, I will not be negligent to remind you always, not once in a while, but always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. Peter is talking to Christians there. He said, you know and are established in the present truth. That's you. That's me. He's talking to believers. Yes, he says, verse 13, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Now, what's interesting there is, is when I read that scripture, I've read it a hundred times. I have but the Lord was like, read it with what Peter really was saying. He, this wasn't his life. He said, this is a tent. This is just a place I'm dwelling now. This is not me. Peter had come to the end of it all. He had seen things he could never deny. He was a totally different man than the man that Jesus said, I will make you a fisher of men, Peter. He had come to the point that he did not even hold his life dear anymore and was letting go of it. And he said, I'm in this tent, I'm in this dwelling to stir you up. Jesus, the Christ, he said, it showed me it's not going to be long. I'm going to be putting off this tent. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure, verse 15, that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Where is the reminder? Right in your lap, right in front of you, right in my hand. Verse 16 says, For 
We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The power is the right now. The coming is the future event. The power is not coming later. The power is here now. The power was present when the Christ walked the earth. It was present in the disciples. It was present in the early church fathers. It was present in all of the evangelism and the the revivals that have taken place. It's been present at this altar before. The power is the present. The coming is the later. So Peter is saying it is the here and the now and it is the to come. There is no worry. There is no guessing. There is no... Uh, the turning in your mind, there should not be. God wants to set you free from that. He wants to make sure you understand what you are following, what you read, what we preach, and what we believe. That it is not a fable. He said, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Right there, I want to stop a second. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Peter is talking to you about the stuff that he saw. The Bible doesn't go into it. But I can see Peter writing this or dictating it and the scribe is writing it as fast as he can to keep up with the Holy Spirit's revelation. And I can just see Peter in his mind remembering when the Lord, all the people were there in the Bible. Did you know that there's only two miracles that are listed in all four Gospels? One is the feeding of the 5,000 and the other is the resurrection from the dead. All four Gospels. And I can just, re- just see Peter standing there remembering how that the Lord said, feed them. You feed them. Well, we've got five loaves and two fishes, Lord. And it said it was 5,000 men, so we guesstimate basically most of the men were probably married, so that's five more thousand women, that's 10,000, and if they each had a kid, that's 15. Best guesstimate, 15 to however many thousand people were fed in one day by five loaves and two fishes. And that's the witness of the majesty because he says that he blessed the bread and gave it to the disciples and they gave it to the people. And I can just see Peter walking around with a basket with a piece of bread in it and a piece of a fish and going to walk up there because I believe the miracle happened when Peter walked out and said, here you go. And I believe the basket was filled and never emptied out. And I can just see Peter standing there or sitting there as he's dictating these words, writing these words, saying, I saw them hand after old, after little child, after rugged, hard work, calloused hands reaching into a basket that only had a piece of bread and one piece of fish. And bless God, they pulled food out time and time and time again, hand after hand after hand. I walked through the crowd and the dust and the dirt. And I saw it, and the basket never ran dry, and it never went empty. And I looked around me, and my brothers who had walked and slept with the Christ, the living God, reached into their baskets. And the basket never ran empty. Because there is no lack in Him. There is no shadow of turning. What He has said is the truth. And what He writes is the truth. And if you base your life on some self-help book, you're living a lie. This is your book. 
This is your guide. It is not a fable. It is not the words of some uninspired man. It is the living, breathing Word of Almighty God that breathes life, convicts of sin, and breaks the bond of the enemy and the demons that may be trying to come against your life. And I can see Peter sitting there and saying, at the end we took up twelve full baskets. Each man never ran out. I can see that in my mind. Can you? I can see it because I know it's not a fable. I have not believed a lie. I have not fought and bled and cried in parts of me that needed to die for a lie. For a storybook, Mother Goose lived in a stinking shoe fable. And if you are depressed or your family members are dying, bless God, don't go to the library for a self-help book. Go to God Almighty. And say, what do I do? And He will show you without fail. That is the Peter who is writing these words. He's saying, I'm about to die. And you need a reminder. Because there will come a time when they drag you before magistrates. And they'll sell you to deny the living God. Deny the truth. And He could not deny it. And He would not deny it. And they crucified Him. In 65 A.D., shortly after, they beheaded the Apostle Paul because he could not deny it. Because Paul hadn't followed a cunningly devised fable either. He said, we, look down at verse uh, 18, and we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Jesus said in, in John, it says, He's the light of the world. Yeah. Some of you have darkness in your life. Some of it is self-inflicted. Some of it is there because the enemy's trying to steal your peace and rob your mind and cause you to go insane. He's trying to put anxiety and fear and worry and grief on you. And that is not the heritage of the sons of God. That's right. You are the spirit of adoption has been given to you as a believer. And it cries forth in you that you are a son of God, a daughter of God, and a joint heir with Christ. And our God does not give his children anxiety to Depression and fear and lack. It is not what God does. But we have believed and accepted a lie so much until it becomes a truth in your life. It is not. It is a fable. It is a lie. That's right. Peter goes on to say in verse 20, Knowing this first. Knowing this first. You need to stop and get back to the main thing. And make it the only thing. That no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. What that means is no man came up with it. It is the Theo God Neustos breath. It is the life-giving breath of God. And if you're dead in your spirit, it will bring life. If you're dead in your flesh, the, the Word of God will bring life to your dead flesh. If your family is in struggling need, the, the Word of God will bring life. It will bring order to your home. If your marriage, you and your wife are bickering and at each other's throats, Peter even says that your prayers are hindered because of that. Get on your knees and get right with God in your family, in your home, your friendships. 
Every area of your life needs to be governed against the plumb line that is this Word of God. For the prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter, he made known to us the power and the coming. We were eyewitnesses. When he said, I was an eyewitness, he's thinking about the bread. He's thinking about, I was there and I saw a dead man come out of a tomb. That had been dead long enough that his body had started to decay and stink. And I saw them unwrap him. And he was alive. I was there when Jesus stopped the funeral procession of the widow of Nain as he was walking through Jericho and said, that's that woman's only means of support. And he had compassion and stopped it and rose the boy from the dead. Peter saw this with his eyes. We've not followed a cunningly devised fable. A fable didn't hold Jesus to the cross. A fable will not hold you to your course that God has set before you. Only the inspired Word of God will do that. Not your plans, not your good ideas, not your stubbornness, not your grit. It is the Word that establishes us. It is the Word that brings us to the end of our walk. Jesus said, I have started a work in you. I'm going to finish it. And Jesus is the Word. The Word. Elijah went upstairs to the widow's son who had died and he laid his body on his body and he stretched his hands out on his hands and his face on his face and life came back into the boy's body. Many of you need to have a hands-on-hands, face-on-face experience with the living God. You have not had that and you need it. Jesus, beaten, crucified, died approximately 33 A.D. Stephen, stoned to death, 34 A.D. Philip, the evangelist, crucified, 51 A.D. Paul, beheaded, 65 A.D. Peter, crucified, historians tell us upside down, 65 A.D. Matthew, Nailed to the ground with short swords, short spears rather, and beheaded. Matthew, Levi, the tax collector. Nailed to the ground with short swords and beheaded in 66 AD. I was born in 1966. Thought about that. Kind of clicked with me. Jude, beaten to death with sticks and clubs, 68 AD. Simon the Zealot, crucified by the governor of Syria in 70 A.D. Ignatius, he was a student of the Apostle John and an early church father. He was devoured by wild animals in Rome in 111 A.D. Let me read a quote to you from Ignatius. My dear Jesus, my Savior... 
is so deeply written in my heart that I feel confident that if my heart were to be cut open and chopped in pieces, the name of Jesus would be found written on every piece. One of your early church fathers, a student of John, devoured in 111 A.D. by wild animals. Justin Martyr, early church father, scourged, beaten like Jesus, and beheaded in Rome in 165 A.D. Look at what the quote he says. No one makes us afraid or leads us into captivity as we have set our faith on Jesus. For though we are beheaded and crucified and exposed to beasts and chains and fire and all form of torture, it is plain that we do not forsake the confession of our faith. But the more things of this kind which happen to us, the more are there others who become believers and truly, truly religious through the name of Jesus. He said, they don't don't make us afraid. Justin Martyr was scourged, beaten like our Christ and beheaded in 165 A.D. And he's saying, the more they do this, there's just more of us. You can stomp all the ants you want. We're coming out the woodwork. The church always grew in persecution. And it is still growing. But you've got to understand that a fable didn't hold these men to their course. It was not some child's nighttime story made up by Mother Goose Rhymes. People bled, people died, people suffered. But it was for a great cause. Roy Ponta. Roy Ponta. 15-year-old Christian Bible camp student in Indonesia stomach was sliced open by Muslim Muslim, uh, extremists in 1999. Roy Pontus was forced from his hiding place and made to stand before the mob. Renounce your Jesus or we will kill you, they threatened. Roy was terribly frightened. Though trembling, he answered, I am a soldier of Christ. At this One of the Muslim attackers swung a sword at his stomach. The sword hit the Bible Roy held and ripped it into it, knocking it out of his hand. The man's next swing sliced open Roy's stomach. His last word was Jesus. The mob dragged Roy's body out and threw it in a ditch. Four days later, his family found it. Even though they are racked with grief, Roy's parents stand proud of their son who stood strong in his faith to the end. Jesus said in Luke 12, 8, Whoever declares openly, speaking out freely, and confesses that he is my worshiper and acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will declare and confess and acknowledge him before the angels of God. A 15-year-old in a Christian Bible camp in Indonesia said, I'm a soldier of Christ. It said he was afraid. He trembled. But he would not deny his Christ. And a Muslim extremist ripped his guts open with a sword. I don't know about you, 
But I don't know when I was 15 if I would have had that kind of courage. Because the kind of courage that Roy had, Ignatius had, Justin Martyr, Philip, Stephen, our Lord. It was a kind of courage and faith that only comes from not believing in a fable. But believing in the holy word of God. Martin Luther said that if a man can't find something worth dying for, he's not worth living. What holds you to your course? Is it a story your grandma told you? That's fine. It's not going to last. Are you living on past experiences with the Lord? Is there no fresh bread in you? There's always fresh bread in God's house. This house is always full of fresh bread. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. They are new every morning. They are new every morning. And they give power to stand in the face of a sword, the face of the cross, or the face of a machine gun. When I think about those men, I pray and I ask God for mercy to help me and strength that I could honor them and their death. And their gift to me, the gift that my Lord gave me, that his death, that he died, was so horrible, there was not even a word yet to describe the pain associated with crucifixion. A fable did not birth this kind of courage. This is, this is a Joel Harris quote. Joel Harris original. Write it down. Be worth some money one day. A fable did not birth this kind of courage, I wrote, in, in frail human beings. That's all that they were. Paul said, I know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all that I know, and that is enough. A fable did not birth this kind of courage in frail human beings. It was and still is the inspired word of the living God, whether face to face, or face to Bible, it is the same. You may say, the apostles, they saw the Lord face to face. Roy didn't. He was a 15-year-old kid. He had never seen the Lord face to face. But he finally did. The only thing that's going to help you to stand and have that kind of courage is a face-to-face encounter with God. You want to see God face to face, Open the book and you will see him revealed in all of his glory and all of his majesty. I prayed recently like I usually do. I said, Lord, speak to me now. I need to hear from you. And I fell open my Bible and he spoke to me like he always has, like he has never failed to do for me. Always. He has never let me down in spite of my frailty. You want a face-to-face encounter, open the book. Because it is the inspired Word of God. It is not the devisings of man. It is God's Word, living and powerful. I'm going to pray. That's all I got. Because, you know, you don't need what I got. 
I needed what I got. You need what God's got for you. You want to find it? It's in the book, man. It's there, waiting for you. God said of His own Word, the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It will do surgery on you. It will cut out the bad. It will help graft in the good and show you your purpose and your plan. You need God's stuff, not me. I'm going to pray and, and dismiss you and um, so that we can go and um, bless the meal. But I'm going to be up here to pray for you. If, you. if you've been having trouble putting your face on God's face, I'll pray for you. If uh, you're convicted by anything that I've just said today, I'll pray for you. If you just want me to pray for you, for whatever, I'll pray for you. But I'm going to pray and dismiss you. And one final announcement to remember that pastor will be meeting with everybody that is involved with the uh, new uh, kids' church, the kids' zone thing, in the kids' zone room right after service. Uh, so if you want to get in there with him, he would like to meet with you. And remember, our new services start at 10 a.m. next week. You can come earlier and still get breakfast. Okay? And we'll pray. And I'm going to dismiss you. Lord, I thank you that your word is enough. Your people, God, don't need the wisdom and guidance of man all the time, Lord. They need your word. Your word changes us. Your word defines us. Your word gives us direction. Your word is powerful. It is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where is it found? It's found in this Bible. And it is the power of God unto salvation, Lord. And Lord, we don't have to be ashamed of it. Lord, I just pray that your people would get a revelation of what you were showing me, God. That Peter had so seen the majesty of the things that God had done that he didn't even hold his life dear anymore. He said, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just in a tent right now, man. This is just a, it's a temporary dwelling for me. That's what a tent is. It's a temporary dwelling. And I'm ready to move on, but I've got to stir you up. I've got to remind you that we're not following some movie script here. This is the Word of God, the living God. It is the Word that raises the dead and opens the blind eyes. It is the Word of God that curses disease and makes it set back on its heels and retreats. It is the Word of God that causes the demon to flee. So, Father, right now that your people have a revelation of that knowledge, a revelation of that Word, let them truly see where the power lies, Lord. It is not in man's hands. It is not in man's opinion, God. And it is in your word that is yea and amen, and it never fails, God. I pray that over them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, I bless the, the food, God. I pray the blessing over uh, what we're about to partake, God. And, and just thank you for the abundance of it, Lord. The abundance of this house. The abundance of your people, Lord. Father, to do your work and to do your ministry. Bless that food, Lord. We just thank you, God, for your healing virtue in our lives, Lord, in our spirits, in our minds, and in our bodies, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Well. I didn't want to yell at you, but I had no choice.
I started to wear my big yellow Despicable Me shirt. I got a big yellow T-shirt that's got just the big minions on it. And God's like, no, I don't think so. I'm not really joking today. And I was like, yes, sir. So, But you're free to go and fellowship, and I'll be here to pray with you if you need prayer and food's down the hall. Remember, those of you working with the new children's program, please meet with Pastor in the uh, old youth room, the kids' zone. Thank you. God bless. Thanks for coming.